When I was asked to, to uh, preach a few days ago, I got a, an email sort of telling me what you can and can't do. And, uh, anyway, uh, that was good. <laughs> but one thing it did say is you have to have a title for your message. And um, I thought about that long and hard, and I thought, well, what is the best way I can encapsulate what I'm hoping to be able to say to you today? And the title I came up with is The God Who Serves. We serve a God who serves. In my previous opportunities to speak, I really have tried to, to, to elevate the Lord Jesus as best I can so that in doing so, our, our hearts are enlarged. We have a sense of, a greater sense of his person. And then as a result of that, a greater and deeper response to him in our worship and our service. And I really looked at some issues like his mastery over nature. You know, looking at such scriptures as Jesus stilling the storm, for example. His mastery over the human condition, looking at his capacity to heal and deliver people who were in great need. And also looking at his mastery over the enemy, where he took authority over the demonic realm in so many different ways. And in so doing, looking at these things to get an understanding of Christ. And when we understand Christ, we get a greater understanding of the Godhead because Jesus came, as it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, to represent God and to represent him exactly. So when we look to Jesus, we see the Godhead completely. So today I want to continue on and endeavour to try and elevate our thinking in respect of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. I want to consider a remarkable quality that's inherent in his nature that we don't often think about, perhaps Maybe you do, I haven't so much in the last few years. And that is his humility. It's both a remarkable thing to think about and a wonderful thing to think about, the humility of Christ. I will look at six different scriptures with you this morning, so it should be done about three o'clock. That wasn't in the email, incidentally, that I, that I got. The first scripture I'd like to turn to with you is the New Living Translation. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give as light. Now, broadly speaking, this is an invitation to everybody who is weary from life, primarily really uh, weary as a result of dealing with sin and its consequences, and to come to him, that is Christ, to receive forgiveness, restoration, and then to be discipled into a whole new way of living. That, in a nutshell, is what that is saying. And obviously, the scripture I'm dealing with today, I can't go into much depth due to time constraints. But the phrase that stood out to me when I read this recently, which is really sort of embedded in the text, that's not one you see so much, but it's right embedded in there, which is so significant, at least to me it is. And it is this, 
because I am humble and gentle at heart. Come to me because. Come to me and I will do such and such because. Because what? Because I am humble and gentle at heart. This little statement gives us an extraordinary insight into the nature of Christ and extended the nature of God. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. This, this expression at heart is so significant. Because what it means, Leon Morris in his commentary says this means at the very core of his being, Christ was and is humble. Extraordinary to think about, knowing who he is. And I want to just pick up for a few minutes this notion of Christ's humility and how it affects and impacts us in our lives today. This business of Christ being humble wasn't merely an outward show. You know, as a friend of mine used to say, I'm humble and proud of it. It's not for show. It wasn't a result of some behavioural modification that caused him to become humble as he progressed through life. No, it was a core thing. It was intrinsic to his very nature. Scripture says out of the heart flows the abundance. So what's there, what is manifest flows out of the heart. This humility that we see in Christ was an outflowing of that which was in him. Not the only thing about him or that was within the core of his being, but certainly an element in the core of his being that had profound consequences in his life and ministry. To anyone else, it would be an idle boast. We know some people who manifest humility. Some are genuine and some perhaps not so genuine. But when it comes to Christ, it was not an outward boast. It was not an idle boast. It was in fact reality and truth. Let's explore this further for a few minutes by looking at the second scripture, which I hope to, uh, which I'd like you to read with me today. It's, second, it's Philippians 2, 6 to 8 and the NIV version. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Again, we see this notion, this thought of humility. Let me read you a couple of statements which I've put together here. Whilst Jesus was fully God, in his incarnation, he completely humbled himself by taking the form of humanity and lived this out or expressed it as a servant. Perhaps I should read that again. Whilst Jesus was fully God in his incarnation, 
he completely humbled himself by taking the form of humanity and lived out this or expressed it as a servant. John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we behold his glory full of grace and truth. Whilst he was fully God and fully man, he didn't take advantage of the fact that he's equal with God, but poured himself out in a humble and obedient service to the Father and to everybody he came in contact with. Again, Gordon Fee in his commentary on Philippians puts it wonderfully like this. This whole business of the, of the coming, the emptying, the servitude and so forth. He didn't empty himself, incidentally, of anything regarding his divinity. He added divinity, added humanity to his divinity and was fully God and fully man, the mysterious hypostatic union. From Paul's perspective, this is Fee speaking, from Paul's perspective, this is how divine love manifests itself in its most characteristic and profuse expression. Christ entered our history not as the Lord, a name that he acquired later, but, but as a slave, a person without advantages, a person without rights or privilege, but as a servant to all. That's remarkable. Someone came to him and said, where are you staying? He says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son has, he, he came without anything. He didn't lay aside his godness. He simply came under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Paul Morgan shared with us a few weeks ago. To get some perspective on the magnitude of this coming, this incarnation, let me just read to you from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Is that the time? Apparently not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word gave life to everything that was created and brought life and light to everyone. There was a time when there was nothing except God. Nothing. Void. And in the genius of God, if I can use that term, he spoke into existence through the Son everything that now exists. It's hard to understand that, that there was nothing because we're used to being something like it is, we're used to everything. But there was a time when there was nothing and God spoke 
And this scripture says that nothing came into being without Christ. Christ was involved in the creation of the universe through whom the universe came into being, through whom life was given to the universe. This is who we are dealing with. Yet he came as a servant. He humbled himself to the extent where he was a servant of all, servant of his Father in fulfilling his will, servant of ours and bringing life and life to us. I really find this extraordinary. I feel so absolutely incompetent to try and communicate the profundity of this to you today. This is so extraordinary that he who created the universe came as a servant in absolute and complete humility with no advantages as a human person. The next scripture I want to just read to you in respect of this whole humility business is this. It's in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Some say that that verse encapsulates the whole book of Mark, if not all the Gospels. For the Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve. If anyone had the right to be served, it was him, given who he was and is. Yet, at the very core of his nature was this quality which we call humility, which enabled him to come and to serve us. This is who we're dealing with today. In reading the Gospels and rereading the Gospels, you see over and over and over again, you see Christ in his humility. You see Christ in his servitude, which was in fact the expression of this humility. Because the humility at the core of his being flowed out from him in serving everybody who he came in contact with, those who opposed him as well as those who loved him. I think one of the most extraordinary things in respect of the life of Christ is in the garden when he was about to be arrested, when Judas came up to him and Jesus addressed him, he said, friend. That says a lot about the nature of Christ. Out of all the scriptures I could choose to have a look at today, this extraordinary humility and service, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 15 
and verses 4 to 5. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. If you read it in passing, you think, well, that's wonderful. (laughs) But it's so profoundly symbolic of something so extraordinary. You see, in In the household of the time, the person whose job it was to wash the feet of the visitors, to wash the dust off their feet, was actually the lowest slave in the household. And there was a pecking order. So the very lowest person, the lowest slave in that household they were the ones to come and wash the feet of the visitors. Jesus, that's why Peter was so outraged. You're not going to wash my feet? The reason Peter was so outraged is because he understood that the person who was supposed to do that was the lowest of the low with no prestige whatsoever. He was turning, Jesus was turning the thing upside down. A phrase that Matt uses, this is counterintuitive. This is a phenomenal example of this humility that was at the very core of Jesus' being and the outworking of it. This was no show. This was not some some sort of act to self-aggrandizement, some some way to make them think, oh, look how humble he is. No, this came out of the very core of his being. This is who he was and is. And that's why he says, come because... This says so much about him, and it says so much about the Godhead in general. Come to me, because I am humble and gentle at heart, at the very core, and completely and utterly approachable. It showed them then And it shows us today a phenomenal insight into the nature of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Humble servant. But there's one better illustration, if I can use the term, that shows us the depth of his humility and the breadth of his service. And we just read it, to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me read to you again from Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. 
but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's a book by a guy called Hegel. It's called The Cross, the Throne of God. Interesting kind of paradox, but true. The cross is the ultimate expression of this unfathomable humility that resided in the core of Christ's being. Isaiah said he was despised and rejected, acquainted with grief. Isaiah 52, end and 53, extraordinary prophetic, looking forward to the cross, describing the ignominy of what he was to experience and the shame. Crucified naked, just off the ground. Being taunted and ridiculed and rebuked and beaten by those he created and gave life to. The mystery of it all. One of the hymn writers says, "'Tis mystery all." He came as a humble servant and became the substitute for you and I. What he experienced, we deserved. What we deserved, he experienced. Why? Well, there's many reasons. Of course. There's much doctrine associated with this, but let me just say one of the reasons is because he is humble in heart and he is a servant to the very core of his being. What about now? Well, he's ascended on high, seated at the right hand of the Father, He's glorified now. He no longer walks the earth, but rather in his glorified body, but he's still the same. Hebrews 38, he says this, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When the disciples gathered and the and Jesus ascended into heaven, two angels appeared and said, he said, this same Jesus whom you saw taken up will come again. This same Jesus. There is a man in the glory who still represents us, who still serves us, making intercession on our behalf because it wasn't a show 
It wasn't a result of some behavioural act, something, whatever. It was a very core quality in his nature as it is a core quality in the nature of God. It's something I cannot really comprehend that God the Lord, the creator of the heavens and earth, is at his core humble, gentle in his dealings and one who serves to the ultimate. But yet there's more. Finally, I want to just bring to you a scripture and just talk about it for a second or two. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This word paraclete or parakletos, this word which we get comforter, advocate, whatever, it's a complex word. There's not really one word that fully translates this word adequately, but most of the newer translations, including the ESV, use the word helper because somehow it encapsulates this whole thought. Morris again says a very good word for this would be friend. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another friend who will be with you forever. This word parakletos means this. Literally, it means someone called alongside for the purpose of helping. Can I put it like this? Someone called alongside with the purpose of serving. Another, it says, another helper, which presupposes there was a first. Of course, the first was Christ. And on his behalf, we have the Holy Spirit sent to us as, if I can put it this way, the second helper. God, the Holy Spirit, has come to serve us to help us, to befriend us. In the upper room discourses where this was discussed, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll not desert you, he said. And he said, I will send you another. And it means this, another of the same kind. That's what the Greek tells us. Another of the same kind. And so here today, we have the Holy Spirit. The blessed Holy Spirit, who I honour with all my heart. He's been sent to stand alongside in absolute humility He is God. He's not a wind. He's not a breath. That's just a way of understanding the nature, the ethereal nature. He's a person. 
And this person has been sent to us to stand alongside and to reside within us, to help us in our frailties. In the complexity of human life, the Holy Spirit has come to help us, to aid us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to convict us, and so on and so forth. And may I say this, who is also humble and gentle at heart because he's the same. Different, separate from, but the same in essence. And the wonderful thing about this is he's come to stay. He's come to reside. He's come to dwell with us forever. Friends, right now, in this building, Whilst we can't see him with our eyes, faith tells us, the scriptures tell us that the third person of the precious Godhead is here among us. The Holy Spirit is here in this room. He's here. We are limited by sight. We are limited by our senses. But the Holy Spirit has come. And he's come with the express purpose of helping us. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. To befriend you. And at one second past 12 tonight, we go into 2024. It's just Monday. But there is this symbolism associated with the new year, right? New Year's resolutions, whatever. Good, bad, the ugly, I don't know. But the thing is, when we walk into that, as Annette said before, we do not walk alone. There is one who's been sent. There is one who has come, who is both gentle and humble at heart. And folks, he's the best friend you will ever have. Hence the title of this little talk today, The God who serves.